What's up, nerds? You're listening to today's boondoggle. We're going to talk about artificial intelligence, why the United States is better than everyone, why we gave away our energy independence, and why we have a uniparty who hates you more than you could ever hate yourself. But what you're going to learn today on today's boondoggle is that that choice to hate yourself is indeed just a choice. And you're not going to try to get better. You are getting better because it's the only choice you have. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this intro before the intro of our today's boondoggle radio show. Uh, As you know, we're a veteran-owned and operated podcast, and this has been an incredibly therapeutic journey for me as a veteran that struggles with PTSD and anxiety, just getting out and talking to people. But uh, it does cost us some money, so if you feel so obliged to donate to our GoFundMe, we have a GoFundMe under Today's Boondoggle. We also have a Venmo at Today's Boondoggle that you can donate to, Uh, our anchor sponsorship at anchor.fm forward slash today's boondoggle uh, any questions comments suggestions complaints you can email us at today's boondoggle at gmail.com and please follow us on our social media sites at, uh, at today's boondoggle on instagram facebook twitter all your uh, social media platforms as well as our youtube channel our rumble channel and our bitshoot channel please follow subscribe comment and download and please consider checking out our sponsors if you uh, support our sponsor dream nutrition you can receive 10 percent off your order by using the promo code boondog10 at checkout so dream nutrition they're a veteran owned and operated company as well so please support them and receive 10 percent off using the promo code boondog10 thanks for your time and thanks for listening What's going on, everybody? It's Bill Bailey with today's boondoggle. And a real quick housekeeping note, um, if you're watching us on YouTube or if uh, you're watching us on Rumble, please hit that follow and subscribe button. And if you're listening to us on whatever podcast platform you utilize, please hit that uh, subscribe and follow button. And uh, without further ado, I have uh, 
up north from uh, Toronto, Canada, you got Jay Anderson of the band UU. Is yep. that correct? Yep, yep. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it's UU. I know it's a ridiculous name, but it's sometimes you have to find names that are. It's really hard to name bands, and it's and it's actually I hate it. So yeah, everything's um, taken. Yeah, it's honestly the worst. It's like you have to do like your own market research. I was like Googling you guys and it took me to some like anime chick or something. You know what happened that I didn't know that because I don't really know anime. And I, I realized that in Googling and, and checking Twitter, there's, that is something, which is cool. I'm, I'm, I like that. It, there is like, I thought I was being original, but somebody else, I guess, beat me. To it, <laughs> so. Nice. Well, Hey, I, uh, um, usually when I have somebody on for the first time, I like to get a quick background sure. uh, on them. So, uh, originally, what did you want to be when you grow up or grew up? Oh, like, that's a good question. I would say, what did I want to do when I grew up? I probably like, I like as a fantasy thing, I wanted to be a baseball player, but I, I knew I didn't possess any of the skills <laughs> to do that. I was a big fan of baseball. I was a big fan of pro wrestling, but I always knew I don't, I didn't, I didn't think I could do that either. Um, so, I, you know, I don't like, I really never thought too far advanced, I guess, into that kind of thing. Like maybe I'd have like, I was an actor or anything like that kind of thing or a baseball player, or, you know, like, yeah, phases or whatever you went through. Yeah, being like in a fantasy thing, but never like, oh, I can't wait to get to a certain age and I'm going to then pursue something academic that I could probably help me make more money or whatever, or like be a scientist. I didn't have any kind of practical, I was a pretty big, like, like, like daydreaming kid. A lot of the time, like my, my, like, not that, I mean, every, I think every kid has a great imagination, but I found that that kind of like, I was like, I would be in my own world of whatever that was like, you know, like when they say like, Oh, your head's in the clouds kind of thing. I think that. Oh was, yeah. <laughs> I was, definitely like that a lot <laughs> so I, I always said as just like reality was already like secondary to me when i was a kid so it's funny you mentioned that too because it's like i got i'm i'm in recovery and i i am okay. given like a lead on on friday and okay. i was kind of like putting some stuff together and i'm just talking about being that kid with his head in the clouds always kind of like like dr dreaming and stuff you know questioning things you know yeah or just like yeah, just like trying, like, you know, yeah, just having an imagination and, 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 uh, and going with it the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Now it's like they, you know, they make it like it's a bad thing or something. Oh, no, it's not a bad thing at all. I think it's a great thing. I think, I think we should encourage that kind of, you know, <laughs> going to that place, you know. Oh, I agree, man. And what was it that you like discovered music and that uh, caught your, um, there was like three instances I could tell you. Like one was like prop. Well, I mean, as a kid, uh, I was lucky. I guess I was. I'm 44 now, so I kind of grew up in the kind of birth of the music video. I guess so when that was, and my mom uh, babysat these kids in our townhouse complex, and they up here we didn't have uh, we didn't have MTV yet, and much music was what was gonna come, but that hadn't. I don't even think started yet. So. Up here, we had these hour-long video shows, uh, and we got there was like, and 
There was also we being from Toronto, we get all our television, American television from Buffalo. Like that's like if it's ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, it's always a Buffalo affiliate. So there was also a there was a music video channel on the Buffalo station and two on Toronto stations. So I ended up like watching music videos for like three hours a day because I, I my mom babysat these older kids and that's what they watched. And then from there, like the Beatles and the Who. Like, like your classic, classic rock, I guess. And then and then in, I was of an age when like hip hop was huge and that kind of really piqued my interest in playing drums. And I was 16, well, I was like 13 when like Nirvana broke. So I was at like a, an age where this stuff was hitting kind of, I was the perfect demographic for music. And that's kind of how, and then I stopped like, you know, buying baseball cards and comic books and music. And then like when I was 16, I smoked pot for the first time and, you know, started listening to music. And that's such a milk and cookies moment. If you know how to like get it, you know, harness that. And then becoming a musician was like kind of like secondary. I just wanted to be a part of it. And drums were the only thing that I could kind of marginally do. And that's what I started doing. And then I started kind of caring really not until I was in my like mid twenties. Like I'm like, I was like, I should really try and get better at this thing. Cause I'm kind of okay at it and I want to do it. That's what I was telling myself. So that's pretty much the basic me and music, I guess. And then I worked at tens of record stores, like from the age of 17 till, I don't know, until my mid thirties, I, I had worked in record stores. So that also helped, you know, with my, I just was like, it, it, all it did was it, it, I realized when I had other jobs that all I thought about was music. That's it. And if I met somebody on a job, like at a warehouse or at a kitchen or something else, and they were into music, that's, I had something to connect with them. And I just realized that I needed to be, I needed to have like employment around that all the time because it's all that really, not that I'm like writing masterpieces or symphonies. It's just like my brain is completely focused on music. 90% of the time when I'm not thinking about something else usually. And that's just, that's not coming up with stuff. That's just like, I want to listen to a record or, you know, I would love, you know, I have to fill my time with it. So. No, I totally get that, man. And I remember like, you know, just not having anything. I really felt like I connected with other people on, you know, and it's just like, but you want to make friends. So it's like, sometimes you put on this fake face to try and pretend that you're interested in the crap they're interested in. But right. like, I mean, yeah. And that's, what I think that's being, that's being an adolescent. I think you just want to have that sense of belonging, but I think that there, there comes a time when you're like, ah, I'm good. I, I know the path that like I had friends in high school, but I started going to shows. Like I'm from, I grew up in the suburbs of like in Toronto, but in the suburbs. So you had to take a bus to get there in town. And then, you know, there'd be parties <laughs> and I would be excited to see a band and I would leave at like, you know, eight o'clock, like whatever. I'm like, oh, I'm going downtown to see a show. And I would just go by myself because that's, you know, that's what, I just felt that that's where I belonged, I guess. I don't know. It made sense. All that, that whole world made sense to me. I didn't feel, you know, alienated by it. I felt kind of wanted more of it, so. Oh yeah, totally get that, man. And then, so then, when did you start? Like, actually, like you said, uh, drums kind of became your thing. When did you start like playing and then kind of uh, collaborating with other musicians and? Um, I started like I guess I started playing drums when I was sixteen, but I I didn't like practice. I didn't give it like I thought. Oh, practicing's 
that's for musos and I wanna, you know, I was like, that's for people, you know, just a horrible, horrible way of going about things. But when I was young, I thought that would be punk rock or something. Anyways, and then I was in bands. And then when I was in like my early twenties, I started, I was in two bands that were kind of doing stuff. So I was playing more and I was getting into playing more and I really loved it. And I had gone on my first couple of tours at that time. And that's when I was, Oh, like maybe I'm into, I still didn't know if I was going to, I wanted to commit to it at the time, but I really enjoyed it. And I was doing the thing like, you know, working horrible jobs just to have enough money to go on tour. So it was already in me to start having that. So then that, and it never bugged me. Like I never, I like sleeping on floors didn't bug me all that kind of shit. I thought that's what you did. Like that was, that was a part of it. And then in about 2004, I was in a band and we kind of started gaining a bit of heat in Toronto. And that was the first time that I guess a lot of people had seen me play drums and I, and I was, I was good enough, but we started playing with other bands and better bands. And then I would just look at the drummers and I was like, Oh, I have so much, I am like, I'm not fully formed. I'm completely not fully formed. I'm not even close to it. And I just had to go back and just practice like all the time. And then when I started getting more confident over the years, I would then reach out to people, you know, musicians who I looked up to being a fan first of their stuff. And then from there, you know, starting bands with them and, and being comfortable to approach them in the scene. I don't know how it is in Cleveland. Uh, Toronto is a, an interesting scene that um, I find that age and that doesn't matter. It's just your ability and, and what you want to do. And, and there's a lane for everybody here. So you do have the kind of freedom to explore and experiment in a good way, I think. And that I think really helped uh, for me as a musician, I guess. So that's my answer in a nutshell. I don't know. And then uh, you said that you uh, had started like touring and, you know, getting used to sleeping on floors and working crappy jobs so you could go out and support your touring habits. Yeah, 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 really. Who were those bands that uh, you toured oh, with? That, first that era, I was in, oh man. Okay, so we, I was in this band called White Starline uh, and then that became a band called The Old Soul and I was in a, I kind of, I guess, like, a, it was a garagey group. We really liked the MC5s. We were called the Flame Jobs and we did stuff. And then with the old soul started touring. Yeah. So it, that was just what I started. You know, those are the early, early bands, I guess, that I was in where we, you know, you got it. You started doing stuff at least. And like the first tour I ever did was with this band White Starland and it was in the States and we did, but it was that we didn't, I think we played one venue the whole time. It was all like, basements and vfw halls and the, the back of a used clothing store and you know i you know, that was that type of tour and yeah, i loved yeah. every second of it i thought it was great like you know, it was so much fun <laughs> a lot of and DIY. Went, yeah yeah and I, and I grew up on that kind of stuff too like i knew i went to shows you know in church basements and that kind of thing and so i, I was totally used to that I was more used to that than you know if my first touring would have been in, in bars and clubs and that kind of thing. So it made sense to me. But and what was that like? Uh what would you 
describe that that style of music you were playing at that time? Um, I mean, both like kind of fell in, in the rock category thing. Like the Flame Drops, like I said, was a very it was a band I joined. I didn't start it, uh, but they were guys who they had this kind of cool Stanford band. It was it was garagey, but they were doing it like in the late '90s or 2000s, kind of just before the White Stripes boom and that thing really hit. And a lot of those bands, those Detroit bands, were coming to Toronto a lot, like the Detroit Cobras, the Von Bondies, uh, the Dirt Bombs, like that those type of bands, like kind of before it had kind of exploded. So we were kind of used to that. And then White Starline was again another band I joined. I didn't start it. It had started kind of as a slowcore band, you know kind of reminiscent of like Bedhead or Codeine or Low or one of those groups. And then that kind of morphed into the old soul, which kind of became like a flaming lips, like Beach Boys on steroids, kind of like boombastic pop kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've been lucky enough that every band's like, there are that are similar in groupings, but I've been lucky. I've got, I've gotten to play in a lot of different, different things like, under the rock umbrella for the most part, you know, but it's been nice to try, you know, different things, which is very, I don't know. I think it's incredibly important in life. You don't want to eat chicken every night. At least I don't. So. Yeah, no, I gotcha. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, I was listening to some of you, you, and, and it, uh, definitely sounds different from how you, from how you originally started, Mm -hmm. uh, the type of music you originally started playing. Um, but before like you, you came together, um, like when was it then you kind of felt like you finally like were established as, as, a you know, a musician in, in the Toronto scene and what was that? Um, like? I mean, I still don't, you know, part of me still doesn't, and I'm not trying to, de- part of me, it doesn't think, you know, I'm still working towards it. So I'm like, I hope I'm, I am, and I just like to work. But I guess when when you start playing shows with people you really respect and then they want to work with you, I think that was when I was like, okay, I, I think I I think I, I can do this kind of thing. Um, yeah, because yeah. there are players in Toronto that I look up just as much as I would have anybody from the past or anybody who's current, not from Toronto. You know, I look at the the the, the talent level in Toronto is you know I'm not. It's at a certain level that I, I find the bar is extremely high in this town. To, and with that, it forces you to be good, I think. And uh, so basically when I was able to start hanging in circles of musicians that I thought were extremely talented and I was influenced by, then I would say that's probably when I realized that, okay, I, I can do this. I'm here. I've arrived, I guess. And this came after you realized, hey, maybe I should practice, huh? exactly because then you're starting to play with people who in toronto you get a real mixed bag there's people who come from like who are schooled and come from like you know a jazz program or they just started playing you know there's also people you meet that they started playing at a really young age and started touring at a really young age so everybody has a different you know a different place where they're getting to but then when everybody arrives at that place, it's it's just so long as if you can do what's in the moment. And, you know, I, li- I like the fact that everybody has a different story. I think that's good. I think it's fresh. It keeps everybody's perspective different, you know. And then when in collaborating with people, 
they bring what they bring, you bring what you bring, and you, ho you hopefully you're making something that somebody else wants to hear. That's the whole thing. You get together, you make music, and hopefully you're like, maybe somebody else thinks this is as cool as how we think it's cool. And that's usually when you get confident enough to share it or play a show or anything like that. Gotcha. Yeah, well, like, um, so then what kind of what's the story the background behind uh you coming together it's uh you know kind of the publicist said uh toronto you know super group you I know guess. <laughs> coming together so well what happened was so um i was a big fan of this well ian blurton who plays guitar in you uh has been you know i would say i think his nickname in canada is sir ian blurton and there's a reason for that he was in chain, a group called Change Your Heart, Bionic, Come On, and uh, he's produced a ton of records. He has a new project called Ian Blurton's Future Now, which is really great. Um, and uh, he was also in a group Public Animal before that. And he was just someone I, I completely looked up to as a player, just, you know, just as someone who I was a fan of his music. And we ended up getting to be on a gig together with our friend Kate Boothman, who's a singer-songwriter. And uh, I had never worked with Ian. We kind of were friendly, but not too, you know, not too close. And we just really got on and we started talking a lot about records and music. And we were just like, hey, it'd be fun to make something. So he had an idea that he was going to do for a record with somebody else doing vocals. And that was going to be the... Uh, the blueprint for what we were going to do. So we needed a bass player. And I had just met this guy by the name of uh, Jason Haberman, who I thought was an exceptional musician, bass player, really good hang. And I like that. I had just kind of met him. I didn't know him too well enough to, and I, sometimes I think that's the best way to just jump into it. It's like, oh, I think he might be really good. And the three of us got in a room and we jammed and, Ian has a really has a studio, so it was great to work in a place with you know there's no clock on the wall, and uh, we just did a bunch of stuff. We cut stuff together, and then we had these jams, and we're like, mm, what are we gonna do with this? There's no vocals. So then the idea uh, was well, the big idea was I wanted to do a horn rock record. I'd always wanted to do something like that, and I'm I was a really I'm a big fan of this Manfred Man Earth Band. Sorry. Not Man for Man Earth, but Man, Man for Man's Chapter Three. It's a you know a kind of post uh, psych pre prog British record that's very horn heavy. Uh, it kind of takes elements of Chicago, like the Chicago kind of you know horn rock thing, but also has free jazz and you know just a whole bunch of other elements to it. And I always thought that'd be interesting to do a record like that. So I got my friend Jay Hay. Uh, to uh, write arrangements and we had like a, a small like trumpet sax and trombone horn section so then they put that stuff on and then we sat on it for a bit we had started this record in 2018 it was very slow moving because we were all really busy doing other stuff and then the pandemic hit obviously so just like it just kind of kept getting we were like well, we, at one point I like we're, I'm like I don't know if we're ever going to finish this thing if it's ever going to be anything and then I had the idea to because uh, originally we were going to have some <coughs> thing on it and that didn't work out but he the original singer had kind of like a male soft pop kind of vocals so my head was kind of just in like that's where I kind of pictured the the vocals sorry picture what the vocals sound like so I had my friend Drew Smith um 
who records under the name Bunny and under his own name, and my and my friend Chris Cummings, who I uh, who play, plays under the name Marco Starling, and I play in both of their projects. And I sent them the rec- the songs, and I'm like, "Can you guys fill this up with lyrics and vocals?" And like two weeks later, they sent it back, and I was like, "Oh my god, we like we have an album." So it was kind of a very piecemeal, you know, pushing a rock up a hill process to finish it and then it was finished and then it was like oh boy and i felt just accomplished that we got that done and then like maybe we should see if somebody might want to put this out so and that's that's how it happens it was a very uh i don't think even a lot of the people haven't even really met each other some people i know there's some people who put this thing together who they've never met in person um but that's cool i like that i think it's a neat it's a neat story um and hopefully it doesn't sound like a like a, a record like that. I hope it sounds like it was all done in the process. But that's what I like. That like you like I'm revealing that like, I'm telling you how the sausage is made. Or, you know, <laughs> the Colonel's well, secret recipe, right? Yeah, hopefully it comes together like a cohesive. You know. uh, well, uh, you'd mentioned at the beginning, you know, you don't like naming bands and stuff, but it's like, what was it that kind of like made you you uh, kind of oh, how, how they made for you guys? Well, the name was actually, is kind of me, it's Ian Blurton volleying an idea and me spiking it, basically. He uh, he said, why don't we call the band Umwa Umwe? And it's a song by like that group 10CC, their pre-10CC band called Hot Legs. Anyways, great track. But, and then I looked at it and I'm like, ooh, Umwa Umwe. I'm like, that's really... It's a mouthful, but the acronym for it was UWUW. And I just kept looking at it. And I'm like, this looks really good. Like, I think this looks cool, but like, how can I, and for some reason, I don't even know if this is the good thing about the English language is there's no male, female consonant, you know, there, it's no rules. We don't have rule. It seems like it's a very lawless. So if you say something's supposed to pronounce a certain way, then you can just get away with it. Like, you know, if you have the last name, Strawn, it's spelled Strachan, but you just say, no, it's pronounced Strawn. So that was like kind of my way of, so I'm like, no, it says, says you, you. So we just kind of came, like, I was like, it looked, made sense to me. I don't know. My, my English teacher might be upset that I, I don't understand pronunciation, <laughs> but um, yeah, that was it. We just literally kind of came up with that idea and we had already like, it, and then I gave that to a friend of mine, Nick Sewell, who had the album design and he came up with the logo and it just looked. It just worked really well. And we're like, okay, that's the name, you know, because naming bands is, it's ridiculous. It's insane. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Your brain would melt from stress. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, so you guys, you said you started working on this thing even before the pandemic and mm-hmm. a lot of people haven't even met, but uh, regardless, you were able to get a, a LP done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the self-titled LP is coming out October 21st yep. and you guys are on, uh, we are busy bodies, uh, records. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what's that, uh, relationship like with, uh, that record label? Well, I've known Eric Warner who owns it since, I don't know, maybe we've known each other for 20 years. He was, uh, when he was like 16, he started promoting shows in Toronto. Like he was a real you know, and really got things done, like real go-getter. And he still has this label. So I'm in another group by the name of Lamping and I sent him our record and he put that out. 
And I just, for some reason, I had sent it to a couple other labels I knew, but for some reason I had a funny feeling. Like, I'm like, I think Eric will get this more than the other labels. Just just because Ian is involved and he knew Drew Smith and there was just enough components of it that I felt that he would know what we were trying to go for. And I played it for him and he just pretty much instant, you know, was like, I'd love, I'd love to do this. You know, we, we've never played a show. I, I don't even know if we'll ever play a show like we're talking. That's going to be a whole other thing that I don't want, you know, it's going to be a mountain to climb. But yeah, yeah, it sounds like you'll have to have a, like an orchestra from what I was listening to. Yeah, or just a couple extra players. You know, just more practicing, basically. I have to, we, we like, we've never played, like after we recorded those songs, like I've never, I've never tried to play any of that material. None of us, have, we've never done it, so. I mean, we would like to play a show and I think it will happen in the future. Just we have, it's a group that we have to get our schedules in line. And that, that's what I mean. The, the, the Making the music and the practicing will be fun. I think everything else will be the headache. <laughs> like, having, having band practice email chains is almost as bad as naming bands. It's even more, <laughs> just to figure that out is like, it's crazy. So, but anyways, yeah. So Eric, Eric's, Eric's really great. And I love Eric has a really wild taste and stuff and his label really reflects it. You know, it's definitely hid his taste. So, which is amazing. And uh, he's really easy to work with. Uh, you know, he pretty much anything that you would say, he's, he's like, always like, cool. There's no, there's, I don't think I've ever got, there's zero pushback with him on anything. And that's good. Cause it's, He's there for the artists, and, that, and that's kind of the job of, of a label, I think. So, but it's a great place to be. Yeah. So, like when I, uh, when uh, Chad had kind of like you know sent me the the bio and the information on you guys and asked if, about setting up the interview, mm. you know, what I read was, you know, what I read about the band. And then when I finally listened to the music, I, I, it, I was just like, it wasn't what I was expecting, you right. know, but it was, uh, I mean, it reminded me of kind of like a, you know, I'm watching like a seventies detective movie or something like that when, you know, it's pulling up to the, to, <laughs> to find the perps or whatever, you know? And it was just, it, it was cool, man. I, I, I really dug it. And, uh, like your single, uh, scattered ashes, mm. um, what's the, uh, kind of what, what was the, uh, Cause you said you didn't really write the lyrics. So you even know like what, um, no, you're trying to convey with that or no, I had no idea. Like, I think, uh, Chris is an incredible lyricist. Uh, so is Drew. They're both my, it's like, I've always said, it's like, I have my own personal, well, they're for the world, but I have access to like Harry Nielsen and Randy Newman. And that's what I feel that these two guys are interchangeably. But but they're just they're so good at what they do. It's unbelievable, and they both had really interesting ideas. Like Chris, Chris, like I think I I'm almost uh, I'm trying to remember what scattered ashes. It's, it's kind of I think it's a it's an it has a bit of an ecological bent to it. I think like it's kind of like things are gonna end, so you know yeah. that's what's gonna happen. But. I don't know, Chris, they, they, but both of them did tell me they just heard the music and they wrote to because we just gave them the tracks with not with not nothing. Like the, the songs were all written with zero lyrics, didn't know where they were going to fill it in. And they just 
they did it and, and they, they can both harmonize their own voice incredibly. Like I was hoping at one point they were going to send stuff back and forth to each other, but they never did it. They almost looked at it as like a, like a challenge or a game. They're like, that's how they did it. They, I sent it to them and they both they were they're like, okay, I'll take these two songs. And they were like, okay, I'll take these two songs. And they've worked together too. Like they, like, you know, they know each other, but they work separately in this. I almost feel like it was like, Let's see what I can come up with and let's see what, you know, the other person did. So that's also kind of fun when you have, you're giving somebody something and you're hoping that they're going to really care about it. And they do. It's a really great feeling to get that back. And you can, you can hear that they worked hard on it. And yeah. I, think, I think that's, that's the, that's the highest, you know, praise you can get. I think like the, you know, the, Oh, you like my stuff so much that you worked equally if not even harder to make it you know to elevate it and we're like were, was there a certain way you felt about some of the music and then when you sent it off um and they came back with the lyrics that they came back with for the song where you're like man it took it in a different direction than i was feeling but and, and yeah but in the best way possible yeah, that's what yeah. i wanted like i just wanted to be like here you take this now you go somewhere with it and they just like just went even further out there. You know, I gave Drew, there's one track that's 13 minutes on the album and Drew wrote lyrics for every part of it. And it doesn't sound busy. It's like, I couldn't believe, I thought he'd write, sing a bit. And then like, he just wrote different parts for, you know, he just was like the challenge of it. You can really hear it. And then they sent that back and then Ian did all the treating with the, you know, was dubbing it out. So it was a kind of fun, you know, tennis match and, you know, you send somebody something, they send you it back, then you send it back. And, you know, that's, by that point, I was already not involved with it. I was just getting to excitedly hear the progress. So it was, it's really fun <laughs> to be in that seat. Yeah. And now that you guys got the finished prod product going back and listening to it, uh, I know it's like trying to pick like a favorite child, but is there one that in particular that's Hey, baby, this is Double D, also known as Dream Daddy. And I gotta tell y'all something about our new sponsorship here at today's Boondoggle. And the name is Dream Nutrition. So if you're looking to empower your human vitality, well, then you come to the right place. With over 12 years of combined experience in cannabinoids and terpene products, Dream Nutrition products include CBD oils, patches, proteins, and so much more. The endocannabinoid system is believed to have involvement in regulating physiological and cognitive processes, including the immune system, appetite, pain sensation, mood, memory, and in mediating the pharmacological effects of cannabis. Support this veteran-owned and operated company today, and today's Boondoggle fans will receive 10% off their orders when using the promo code Boon Dog Ten at checkout. That's B O O N D O G Ten at checkout. So go to the link. That's DreamNutrition.com forward slash discount forward slash Boon Dog Ten. And remember, Dream is not spelled like Dream Daddy. It's spelled D R E E 
a.m. And start saving today because you deserve to feel your best. And you know that's right. So tell them Dream Daddy and your friends from today's Boondoggle sent you. Uh, no, I mean, there's only four songs. <laughs> yeah. We made it simple. Um, no, I, I thought everything that they did on it is great. I'm glad that Ian, who's also a really good vocalist, does a little bit of backups on the track back, Box Office Poison. And it sounds like, Ian, if you know how Ian sings, it's kind of amazing that he got it in there without being provoked. And it sounds really good. So I was really happy about that. I'm just really happy that, you know, I got to make this record with an unlikely cast of characters who might have not known each other. I don't know. It was, someone said it nice. It was like, they said, it's like, like okay, bringing it back to like a 70s movie. I, everybody worked hard on this album. You know, I just, I felt I was, I had a little bit more in, in the casting, I guess, or whatever. But, you know, that was really fun to see. Like, that's my favorite part is putting combinations of people together and seeing if it works. Most of the time it does. And watching, watching two people who've never worked with each other, but you know their capabilities really feed off. And I really got that a lot on this project. So I, I got, it was, it was nice to see that. Um, you know, it sounded, I mean, it sounded like a lot of fun to listen to the finished product, but right. uh, the, you know, I, I was just thinking, I mean, with all these different musicians, is this kind of like a new, does everybody's kind of like uh, regular bands, like a completely different genre. And this was kind of like a challenge to come together and try. And I, would say, I would say funny enough, probably Ian the most. I mean, the rest of us, it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to know that we had a band like this. But Ian especially, and, and it, it, I think he's just done so much rock stuff. He's known as a real rock guy. And I don't mean that as a slight. I just mean that he's an incredible guitarist. But the bands, and especially in the last, I would say, 20, 15 to 20 years, he's definitely known more as like a rock guy. His new project... Uh, Ian Blurton's Future Now, which is amazing. It's it's kind of like a 70s prog thing on the heavier side of things. And um, yeah, but he also, but he also does, like he can do anything and everything. So I would say he's probably the one out of all of us that probably people would, be, I mean, if anybody cared, but be like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. But everybody else that's in somewhat of the wheelhouse, I wouldn't say... It's too much. I mean, there's certainly there's stretches, obviously, because it doesn't sound like anything either of us do, but I would say it's a little bit, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, like, you had mentioned kind of like about Scattered Ashes kind of sounding like an end type thing. I was – something that stuck out when I was reading in your bio, um, talking about the world ending or has ended, and, uh, quote, a lost vision of – a kind of hippie or punk utopia is the only way to live your life. The only way to maintain a healing state of mind. Now, I don't know if that would, I don't think that probably wasn't your quote. So, no. <laughs> all right. So, Cause I wanted to kind of get like what, what they're, what, you know, more of like what they meant from, from that. But, uh, well, that would have been Chris. So I don't, you know, I think he's just explaining it. As, as the quote you read, I think that's probably where he's coming from. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I can't speak on it because once that got to that point and they had to explain, you know, when 
explaining the lyrics, I just was like, well, this is, you know, yeah, okay, yeah. Say what you need to say. I, but I, at this point, I was, we were mute. Like, I wasn't saying anything because there was no, like, lyrics or words. We were just making the music. But that's where he went with it. And, uh, you know, I think that's, uh, I guess that's his, his interpretation. <laughs> yeah, no, it was really cool, that that quote that, that stuck out to me. That's why I wanted yeah. to, uh, but, yeah, I guess I'd have to have Chris on to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can put that. I can make that if you want to talk to Chris about it. That that can definitely happen. <laughs> cool. Now, um, the like I said, the LP comes out October twenty first. You said you you would like to possibly play a show, but you don't know if you guys are going to play live. But is there any other uh, um, thoughts of maybe just making more music under this project? Yeah, I would love to. We, I think this took so long and we got to the finish line that it was, I felt like there was this like sense of relief, but I think we've talked about that, you know, you, you is always going to be myself, Ian and Jason with guests. I think that's what we would like to do. And I don't know, I, I had a, you know, an idea of a, an album maybe that would work. You know, I think the idea of we did horns on this record. So I was like, well, imagine if we did a record with strings for the next one. That's the set. That's the other instrument. And then maybe have all female vocalists instead of male vocalists next time around. I don't know. Just, I think it's, uh, if anything's going to be in you, you, it's just, it's gotta be the three of us deciding that it's us. And then it can be anything we want it to be, which is kind of what makes, you know, make it, makes it fun. And yeah, I think we would like to play a live show. I think, Probably not. It definitely won't be until the next year. Um, we just would have to get our schedules. Also, we, I want to see what the reaction is for this record. You know, if nobody's, if people want to see us live, then we'll totally entertain the idea and try it. I mean, if nobody wants to see us live, I'm not going <laughs> to. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, we might, we'll probably do like a Toronto. I think the goal would be to do a show in Toronto. Uh, but definitely, I don't think we, you know, taking this on the road, I couldn't. Oh, no, no, never. You know what? Never say never. Um, exactly. Yeah. And then, um, so I want to ask you some of the questions I normally ask guests that I have yeah. on here, uh, for yourself. Like, who are your top three musical artists? Wow, that's always like a, such a tough question. Um, I'd say in just pure inspiration of one thing I love about musicians who are really prolific and busy so i would say three they're, they're not necessarily like my favorite but they they possess something that i like one being jim o'rourke the other being mad lib and the other being frank zappa just in the fact that they just put stuff out all the time and they just continuously don't it feels like they don't think about it it's just like i'm going to continuously put out music just i love that idea like where you show your work it's like, if you don't like this next thing, you might like the next thing I do. And you just keep putting it out. So I would say for that, like, it's not necessarily means style or my influence in playing, but just uh, they, the three of them inspire me just for their, their fearlessness of, you know, releasing different stuff all the time. Gotcha. And then is there a particular song that you feel has been an inspiration in life? That's like a, you know, a go-to a regular on your playlist, whenever you're kind of like need a. Wow, these, are, these are really good questions. I'm, and I have to think, 
Um, oh, you know, well, the last song that I, I remember I, I started listening to because I remember it as a kid and I really got into it again. It was when I was a kid, I had like the best of James Bond cassette, like all the themes. And I really, I hadn't heard it in like probably, I don't even say like 20 years, but I heard that Louis Armstrong song, We Have All the Time in the World. And I think it's from Her Majesty's Secret Service. And it's, uh, it's I think it's one of the last things he did before he died. And it's uh, John Barry, who was a big soundtrack guy and also, uh, Hal David, who is uh, Burt Bacharach's co-songwriter. And it's the two of them producing this track for Louis Armstrong. And it's just, the lyrics are incredible. I, I'm a real, I've fallen in, I, I like anything schmaltzy, like Scott Walker, like that kind of like the, you know, the crooner kind of sitting down with a microphone singing. I have a real thing for that. Uh, and that, that song, it's just really, I could listen to it. I, and during the pandemic, I would just listen to it this is such a like the message is so great and then he takes a trumpet solo in it which is awesome and yeah it's just louis armstrong being really chill i don't know nice it sounded like it was insp inspiring you when you were creating this a little bit yeah i guess i mean just just it, it just really just is an inspiring song so I, it just really was like you know it's, it's nothing too upbeat or like it just has a nice groove to it and i don't know put me in a good state of mind so that's the last song i can remember that really stayed like has stayed with me for a bit so. nice and then um what class do you feel should be mandatory before graduating high school okay well uh what class i'd say world studies although this is very different being canadian and you being american i think there's like i think uh i wish people had a better understanding how they understand the world outside of their world. Yeah. You know what I mean by that? I think, I think a lot could be given to the fact that, you know, I don't want to get too political on here, but I think like understanding different cultures is I think very important. And maybe at a high school level, you can, you know, you're young enough to not have judgment and preconceived notions on people just because their, their background is not yours. So I think, I don't know if that's social. I haven't been in school for <laughs> 25 years. I don't know if that if that's a course or anything, but um, I would say that would be mandatory. Definitely like some type of social studies class. And, you know, and also just like knowing how, you know, people come from different backgrounds and have different economical situations. And, you know, we're all unfortunately different. We're all here on this earth trying to you know do the best we can for such a short period of time and i think understanding and compassion can really help with that so i would hopefully maybe that would be something good i don't know <laughs> uh, i totally get that like you know i mean we deal with that here in the states as well it's like yeah. people that have never been out of their city or their comfort zone like trying to make decisions for the, the rest country. of the i know yeah it's, and like, you know, that's why I'm glad I did, I did some time in the military and I got to seize more of the world and okay. cultures and stuff like that, you know, to. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, like, yeah, you got to probably see, you know, outside your block or, you know, anything like yeah, that. Yeah. I saw people that, you know, kind of lived in like huts, but they were always smiling and some of the happiest people out there because they weren't caught up in all this crap that we're caught up 
with yeah. here, you know? They're just, with, they're just trying to live their life the way they know how to live it, right? And I think that's all yeah. you can do. And I mean, this world is a big, complicated place, and it gets more complicated and scary as, as time goes on. But I think if we get all, you know, I think just just having patience and having, you know, just being just being patient with each other. I know it's difficult. People don't seem to like to be patient for anything, but I think just, you know, take five, breathe, come back. <laughs> you know, I think cooler heads prevail. I wish, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, the, as you said, like you've seen stuff in this world probably more than I have, uh, you know, I, I haven't gone to see any place like that in my life. So, um, yeah. I don't know. Be good well, hopefully, you. you know, some of the people that, you know, watch this interview and stuff will see, you know, me talking to a Canadian and, and your your head looks just like mine. It's not like South Park, you know, or anything like that. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, you're from Cleveland. That's pretty much like Canada. Anyways. Yeah, yeah. We're, we just we share a lake. I so. know. It's not it's not far. Like Michigan, Ohio, Ontario. It's the same. You know, it's just, there's parts of you. If you ever go to like London, Ontario. Or Sarnia, obviously, but it almost looks like you're in Ohio or Michigan. Like there's towns in Ontario that look exactly like a Rust Belt town, so you don't really feel any diff. You know, when I go to those cities, I'm like, oh, I'm in, I'm in, you know, Southern Ontario, basically. So they look pretty similar. Gotcha. And then, um, who are three people who've inspired you, or you can credit for making you the person you are today? Oh, well, I'd say my parents, you know, I was really lucky. I I have two loving parents who were pretty supportive and, you know, put up with me being a selfish teenager and not caring about anything else, but, you know, always really, you know, giving me love and, and, and encouragement. Because the older I get, I know that like not a lot, and I'm not, you know, that doesn't happen to everybody. So yeah, I'm really lucky with that. And my wife, you know, she's we've been together now for almost 20 years, and uh, I I couldn't do what I do if I didn't have her, you know, and her encouragement. So very simple stuff, but you know, the stuff that I think is pretty important. Um, they're the, because these are the people I'm closest with, so I would say they inspire me. You know, I have friends who, you know, I think are incredible, and there's people obviously I look up to who I've never met before, but I would consider idols. But no, I'd say those those are my three. I would go with that. Nice. And then, um, any causes or organizations that you support and encourage others to check out? Um. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know anything. Toronto, we we live in a horror, like the housing crisis here is horrible. It's really bad. And during the pandemic, it was really exposed here about just how bad the homeless situation is and how bad trying to even just survive in the city is at the, you know what I mean? So any one of those organizations, and unfortunately I don't have any, there was a, I don't have it off the top of my head, which I feel horrible about, but there was an organization supporting anything that has to do with housing and, and uh, you know, a living, living wages in this town. I'm just, I'm just talking about Toronto. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of other things, but the city's been growing at a rate and it's not, and, pe- and it's leaving a lot of people behind, unfortunately. And it's now 
with the pandemic, it became incredibly exposed to seeing that. And, you know, hopefully we can get back to a point in the city where, you know, we, again, we just care about the people who, you know, need help and not continuously move forward and building more. There's also a lot of, there's a, you know, we have a lot of condos in the city going up and, you know, a lot of affordable housing, it just isn't there. So um, I support that a hundred percent, you know, gotcha. I think really important. So. And then I haven't, uh, well, here's one that's, that's pretty popular that I get a lot of cool uh, answers for, but uh, well, I favorite, favorite toy as a child favorite toy as a child uh i would say my gi joe collection i was really into i came from the era of like gi joe transformer he-man yeah <laughs> that like action the the star wars action figures from the first from the movies that yeah. was the best i had like the creature cantina yeah anything again back we can make this full circle back to being me as a kid whose head was you know kind of elsewhere that kind of me like playing with my toys was where i think i felt uh made sense to me <laughs> I guess. yeah yeah no that was totally me too but yeah. and and now i look back and i'm like man i wish i wouldn't have like put some of them under like a uh you know burn some of them with the micro you know the the magnifying glass and the sunlight and stuff, how much money a lot of those are worth. Uh, yeah, you imagine if you never opened them up to begin with, how many, you know what I mean? Like, but you're a kid, you like, yeah, I don't know. I, play, I, man. I see that too. When, you know, I see my friend's kids are, you know, like they have toys and you can see like, cause you're older now. You're like, why don't you like maybe put them in an, and the kid, you know, kids just like smash and crash. And it's like, right. You're a kid. You're supposed to break these things. You know, if, <laughs> yeah. if someone told you how to play with your toys, they wouldn't be fun to play with, you know, like, you know exactly and then uh you know i haven't been able to ask this question in a while but you did kind of you know open the door for me at the beginning of our conversation so who's your favorite wrestler whoa okay i'm a big wrestling fan so my era of wrestler who i love the most is i'm a big heel fan and i think the trifecta of my three favorite wrestlers I always say this, or Jake the Stink, Roberts, Rick Rude, and Ted DiBiase for their era because they were so good at being evil. Rick Rude, probably one of my favorite because as I've gotten older, I realize how amazing that character was and oh, how yeah. good he was at being evil. And apparently I read something too that he was one of those guys that at one point they thought because he had so much, like they were going to make him face like they did with Jake Roberts because there's yeah. enough people who got behind and he refused. He said he never wanted to work face ever in his career. He's like, he refused to do it. He said he would never do it. So I really respect that. I, you know, I've been watching new stuff. I don't know. I like, you know, I, I try and watch as much AEW as possible. It's interesting. I was a big ECW fan when that was around. So yeah, me uh, too. Uh, I used to go to Buffalo, uh, the Burt Fleckingler arena, I guess in <laughs> the late nineties. Cause they, they didn't, it only came to Toronto once. And that was like later, ninety, like when it was when it was on TN, like you know when ECW was like right at the end. It was like getting big, but it was losing money or whatever. So they did one show in Canada, but before that, you had to go to Buffalo to see it. So um, I went. It was amazing. Uh, yeah, I would say those are my favorite. Those I think those three. I always like wrestlers who could talk, like bad guys who could talk, heels who could talk. That whole psychology of 
being a heel is amazing. Like, I think that would be the best job is like your whole thing is you have to make people, you know, boo you. And then when somebody comes out and kicks your ass, like everybody's so happy to see it. It's like, I feel there's such an, it must be so much fun. I think being a face would be difficult. Like being a, like trying to be a good guy would be hard. Yeah. Especially in today's, like, you know, left is right, right is left type world we live in, you know, it's like, that's why I like stone cold probably got over so much. Cause he was like such a, you know, kind of doing bad guy stuff, but yeah, you know, well, it's, it was the whole, I think that coupled with the NWO made the, it was when the NWO was a bit different. They didn't, they, they kept them healed, but they still did like, well, actually the first faction really, when you look at it, that had that was the four horsemen. Oh yeah. They, they were the first heel faction that people went nuts for. Like you knew to boo them and shit, but you knew they were the bad guys and they were going to lose all the time. But there was something about the four horsemen were they were cool. They they were the real first cool heel. And I think yeah, without yeah. the horsemen, you wouldn't have had the NWO or Stone Cold or just like like cool he, like you know. And of course with Stone Cold, they couldn't that you know, they that one they couldn't they couldn't bottle that, you know. It like that was the great thing. Like the Toronto audience is so cool, in my opinion, because you know, there's the classic Bret Hart Stone Cold match where they flip at WrestleMania. What's great about the the Rock Hogan match in Toronto is that audience, the Toronto audience, flipped that thing. I mean, they had talked about that they were thinking that it might happen, but that when you watch that, I remember watching. Oh yeah, that, it was incredible. You're like, holy shit! Like Rock's turning heel like tomorrow on television. Like, and apparently there's a story about having he had to go get the red and white because he didn't even have it. They wanted it for TV the next day. Like he didn't have any Hulkamania stuff. Yeah, he still had all the Hollywood. That's incredible. I just think that that's like you know, I love when because again the fans dictate. And I mean, I like what's happening in AEW now too. They're kind of really blurring this like work shoot thing. Like, is it real? Is it fake? Are they pissed? Are they not? And you know, I think that's you're, you're trying to make compelling television, right? So. Yeah, but I like you said, I like it when it's organic when the when the fans dictate. Yeah, you know, things go. I mean, like I haven't really watched too much WWE stuff, but I know like there was always this push against Roman Reigns, but now it's worked. Like it worked, you know. Like yeah, like, yeah. Like people hated him for so long because they were like, like, why are you shoving this guy down my throat? And now it's like, it there shows you that it like they just kept doing it, and it's like people love like they love that like they love the bloodline thing. It's it. He's been the champion for two years. They've never. When's the last time they held somebody that long? Like it's crazy. Yeah, I don't remember that since like the Hogan days. No, like, I think trip. Yeah, like where they would, which is cool because it, then it means that the belt means something. You know, like I think when when ratings when TV started entering, well, definitely when the Monday Night War started entering, obviously rate like that was big ratings. So title changes had to happen more on TV because it pushed the story. But now it's just like, it's about, you know, and there's like, you know, I love, you know, I think this, I think Sami Zayn is, I, I love that Ke Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, two Montrealers, two Canadians are, I think the best thing about the WWE in my opinion. So. Oh, I agree. Yeah. yeah. They make, they make real, those guys, you can give them anything and they'll make it good. Always. Like they're, they're such natural talents, those two. And they're, and they have this like, like, I guess Sami Zayn more so, but I just, you know, like someone like Kevin Owens who can wrestle in a t-shirt and still 
convey that he's incredible is amazing. I think that's a real feat. Yeah, who doesn't have the prototypical like build that WWE that Vince McMahon? No, but you like, need that back. You, you need but, guys. You need yeah. like, that. When I can move like he's, you know, it's incredible. Like that's yeah. when I started getting like the Cena, Batista, that era, the Orton era was when that was being pushed in, or I guess what's called the. What's the post attitude era? The violent, ruthless aggression. Ruthless aggression. That's when I tuned out. I was just like, everybody now is like a body. Yeah. Like you need the, you need the, you need the mish. Like you need different sizes and shapes, and you need like evil heat. Like you need it all. Like it doesn't work. Like two body guys going against each other is just like, well, this, that's why they have UFC. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like they they don't seem to be able to move or as flexible as you know. They're just too. Still, yeah, but, yeah, and I think like you know because a lot of the there, there's a generation of guy who or like wrestler I should say sorry that like came up when there wasn't you know you signed to the WWE and the WWE created you, you didn't bounce around and do territories and but that's what like the, everybody who's now on top it's like Seth Rollins, CM Punk, like those are all people who came from like ROH and you know who actually did do indies yeah did a indies, long yeah. time before making the jump like look how good AJ Styles is he's incredible because he yeah. he took so long what was he? he was like 33 when he finally signed with the WWE it's amazing like he's like someone who would that was like what would have happened in the 80s like like most most of those wrestlers were in their early to mid 30s not all of them but a lot of them were old territory guys right like it's so when the 80s hit they were so seasoned by that time that it was like when they had national television, it's like, these guys are going to look great on TV because <laughs> they're so worked. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Anyways, we can talk about wrestling all day, but yeah, we can do a, a total wrestling episode, but uh, we've been going at it for about an hour now. Sure, um, we can so, call it. That's cool. Yeah. So before we get ready to wrap up though, like uh, for any uh, fans, just like kind of hearing about, uh, you, you for the first time or some of your other projects and they're interested, want to check it out. Where would you send them? Well, yeah, you can basically, you, you is on all the platforms and it's, and it's all uppercase U W U W we're on Bandcamp, Spotify, YouTube music, all like everywhere you, you get your music, uh, Apple music. So I would just go there. Uh, one song's up. I think we're going to be posting another song just before the album comes out and then October 21st. You'll be able to hear it in its entirety, and hopefully, people dig it. <laughs> and if they nice. do, you know. Nice. Well, Jay, thanks for your time, man. It's been good awesome. talking with you, and uh, really nice talking to you. Yeah, man, and uh, yeah, look forward to uh, hearing some more of that coming okay. out. Sounds good. All right, man. Take care. Yeah. Talk soon.
Kelly's up at Putin yeah. Bay, yeah. We were all sitting the at the Macintosh. We were all sitting yeah. at the bar. They were and I had my throwing garbage to get there, him and Al. Yeah. Pictures of him throwing garbage. 
to get us through that alley. Yeah. Garbage truck was blocking the alley. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were taking too long to do the garbage. You guys were throwing Macintosh and Al got out and was throwing garbage. The fastest they ever did garbage, ever. Man, she was hot, man. And and she goes, I want that camera. And the bartender, I mean, this is October. That that city, they roll up the carpeting in September, and this guy's got this bar packed with all the military guys from the gun shoot. And he looks at her, and he looks at us, he goes, yeah, we can have really like have a practice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in case you ever decided. But what's up. funny is <laughs> you know that, after the bachelor party, you I don't know how well this is gonna work out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, this is so much fun. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Tom Reed is gonna be pissed off. What am I doing? Phase one. We'll do it. We'll do it. You know, good excuse to do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Junior. And thank you for listening to another story time from the VFW Hall. Brought to you by Today's Boondogger. Thank you for listening once again to today's Boondoggle Radio Show. Please be sure to check out our website, DomainCLE.com or Today'sBoondoggle.com for more shows and check out our archives. Follow us on social media at Today's Boondoggle on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter for more information about this podcast. And please support us on www.anchor.fm forward slash today's boondoggle as well as on our GoFundMe and Venmo. Be sure to subscribe, comment, download, and listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spreaker, and all the other podcast platforms out there. Please email us with any questions, suggestions, and comments via today's boondoggle at gmail.com. Leave us some five-star reviews and help spread the word. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for tuning into this week's Today's Boondoggle. Domain Cleveland Entertainment is a veteran-owned and operated cornucopia of nonsensical shenanigans. You can find interesting interviews, music news and information, and just about everything else in between. Thank you again for supporting, sharing, and tuning into today's Boondoggle.